Hello and welcome to What Is It About the Weather, where we explore the many intriguing ways that weather is intertwined into our everyday life because, you know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. Now, our main topic today is going to be looking at the connection between weather and print art. You know, we, we've discussed a little bit about uh, film and music before, but I, I really want to get into visualization in still images. But before I do that, I've got to pull out my soapbox for a minute here. Now, people who know me personally know I can get a little snarky, and, and I really have tried in the podcast to not let that come out too much. But this week has just been driving me nuts with some of the things I've seen on social media. Now, let me preface this by saying this all has to do with, with Hurricane Matthew, which is currently crawling along the Florida coast. And so far, thankfully, it has stayed offshore. Now, that doesn't mean there haven't been any impacts, but they've, they've been diminished because of I don't, some slight wobbles, actually, that Matthew took yesterday. Looks like it allowed it to stay just offshore. Um, but we're not out of the woods on this one yet, folks. And, and that's part of why I've got my soapbox out. I have been stunned there are a lot of people I know, and in, in, you know, I, I've talked about the weather enterprise before that work hard to try to combat hype and try to give level-headed but accurate and reasonably concerned weather forecast when it's appropriate. And I've watched these people get comments and negative feedback, you know, with with suggestions of overhyping and watching the political, uh, you know, here in the U.S. we're in that frenzy as we get to our presidential election, and it seems to be dripping into all aspects of life. And you know what? There's no place for it in this this time. Now, you know, I'm all for a conspiracy theory. I'm all for anti-hype, actually, when it's not appropriate. But when you've got a major hurricane barreling down on a, a coast of a state with millions of people and the potential to impact millions of people, let people that are trying to help do their job, do it right, and... If you want to, after the facts, talk about how things were overhyped, fine. But don't come out in the middle of all this when you don't know what you're talking about and put out some post like, oh, Hurricane Matthew fizzling, overhyped, whatever it might be. You're, you're potentially endangering people's lives, and there's no place for it. All right, off my soapbox. But, you know, I, I actually I saw a tweet um, this morning, or actually maybe someone on LinkedIn, and I tweeted about it, about... When you've got situations like this, and this is the reminder, and I've said it before, have credible people that you go to to get forecast. And it was a short list, I'll put it in the show notes, um, by Marshall Shepard in in an article he wrote up in Forbes. And there were two things that were important, not only about the weather information, but know your emergency management systems for where you live and and how to get that information when you need to get it. Uh, He he goes through kind of a short list, one through six, and I think it really summarized things well, but three and four kind of hit on the weather and the emergency manager aspects of it, and I really thought that those were particularly critical. But again... Uh, breathe off your soapbox, Mark, and, and let's move on to uh, the main story, which is talking about weather and its inspiration and its impact in visual art. Now, like I said, we've touched on movies before, and you know, certainly with video, and you, anybody who follows me on social media knows I do a combination of both, but I, I particularly like the print or still image aspect of 
weather art and, and the connection between the two because you know when you're looking at a piece of art or a, or a photograph you have a chance to really stop and absorb and you, you don't get that with video you know yeah you can do slow-mo video and those sort of things but with print form you have a chance to kind of digest it in a different sort of way and there is no doubt uh, that that weather is inspiring to artists. It's a form of communication for, for artists. And it's really neat. When I was doing research for this episode, there's a lot of stuff on the Internet about things for classrooms. So if you're a teacher or other things, there are great resources for introducing people even into art using weather as the primary medium. You know, because there's so many things. I mean, when you think about it. One, it can be visually stunning. You know, you, you try to capture a moment like with a photograph and you can just, you know, people can look at it and just kind of be awestruck. But there's more to it than that. It can be used to set a mood. So it may not even be the primary focus of the piece of art, but the background to whatever the primary subject is, you can create a mood. I actually even saw one where there was this neat shadow done almost into a a doom-like face as this, you know, it was telling of a, of a impending storm coming in, but they cast the shadow over this house. And it, you know, was a drawing that, you know, turned it in almost to like a skull or, or that sort of, you know, it's not just that it was dangerous, but it's, you know, it's murky and dark and all those sort of things. So creating that mood. It can also be used, you know, to create focus on, again, the primary subject, making whether not the primary focus for anybody who grew up in the U.S. and I and I'm sure other locations have this. We had a guy on PBS or the public broadcasting stations here called Bob Ross, and this guy had this big, big curly afro. It was a, you know he was well known for his hairdo. That's how people <laughs> kind of knew him. But he did these shows about you know getting people into art, the simplicity of it, and he never. Uh, I shouldn't say never. I'd have to go back through his stuff. But one of the things he always did with the sky was. You know, he would add clouds or fluff or things like that. And a lot of that was to take the focus of what you don't want the sky gone because it's a part of what you're painting, right? But you don't necessarily want it to be the focus. So you, you, you almost kind of blur it out with clouds or, you know, just whitewashing a little bit of the blue sky. So sometimes you, you're using weather to make weather not the important aspect, but to be able to concentrate if you're doing something outdoors on another aspect of the art. It was. It's funny. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's it's telling something unusual, and sometimes it's even to express humor or again some sort of other emotion. I came across a picture from 1820 um, by an illustrator named George Cruikshank. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it was a story about raining cats and dogs, and even pitchforks. And, and literally, there are cats and dogs and pitchforks coming out of the sky. Where he was, you know, he was using symbolism to relate this, you know heavy downpour but he was using the you know the cats and dogs phrases I, you know, I should look and see if that's where it came from I'm not sure but in any case um, so there's a variety of ways that, that whether whether it's the main focus of, of what the art is or whether it's used to create different focus or just to uh, convey a story in a, in a different way than you would be able to do with without the weather element now, when I talk about print, as I mentioned, there's really two types of things I think about, and it's not limited to this. I, I didn't really get into illustrations like the one I just talked about. Certainly it's there. Drawing is there. And I really focused on photography and more in, in the realm of painting. And, and 
with photography, I know some people don't consider it art. I do. Now, I don't consider anything I've ever taken to be art, right? It's, they can be neat. I can have impressive pictures, but telling a visual, relating a visual idea doesn't have to be done with just because people have paint and watercolors. I mean, one of the benefits an artist has is they have the benefit of they can capture everything in that moment. But that's equally the challenge. And, and a great, well-known photographer in kind of nature scenes is somebody by the name of Ansel Adams. Many of you will know his work, but he has a great quote, which is, bad weather makes for good photography. And he's well-known for using weather in certain circumstances again being that he shoots outdoor weather's always kind of there but a lot of times it's not the focus no and he knows very well how to take a picture to, to achieve that but there are times when weather whether it's the use of fog whether it's the use of of certain cloud shots or, or stormy nature that he is using it whether it's as kind of in your face or a, a symbolism effect of some kind to convey his art right and I do consider this person artist, and I do consider certain photographers, not all photographers, but certain photographers, or that's their goal. It is about, it is about art and, and conveying um, a story or a feeling or an emotion. And just because they're not doing it with a palette or a easel or, or whatever it might be, uh, doesn't make it any less of art. So ju just, you know, enjoy photography as well as an aspect of art, and I think you'll... Um, find a broadened horizon if it's not something you do already. So, like I said, Ansel Adams was one of those people. He's well known, and, and you can go and do a search on it. And there's books and all this kind of stuff. So maybe if you got access to a library, I'm I'm sure there's a good chance that you can find access to some of his prints. But they're just stunning. They're they're very visually stunning. And one of his well known ones is one called Moonbow. I actually, I'm not sure if that's the name, but a Moonbow is a very unusual phenomenon. Everybody's heard of rainbows that are created by the impacts of, of sun interacting with, you know, water droplets, right? But there is the capability for the moon to do the same things. But you think about the weather that has to be involved to do it. You need clear skies, right? You need the right setup of, of moisture and the, the moon being strong enough even, right? So you're not going to get this in when you've got a new moon going on or sliver moons going on or anything, that sort of thing. You're going to have it when you're near a full moon. It's got to be set up at the right angle and everything else just like a rainbow. But because of the amount of light, it's even more difficult for it to occur. And he, and he achieved one near some waterfalls, which, as we all know, rainbows can creep up at waterfalls. It's a, it's a nice place to capture them. And what I find interesting is it's led many people that go, his, his, his art has inspired many people to go and try to recreate it or be in the same place where these things occurred. And you'll see re recreations um, of this particular piece of art, this Moonbow piece of art. Now, he did most of his work in black and white. And so you see it there, but it is intriguing to see the people that go into it in color and that sort of thing. So, again, he was capturing nature in a moment, happened to capture a weather element that made the situation and the story of what he was conveying in his art that much more stunning to me, right? And that's the beauty of weather is it can be used in so many ways. Now, you know, there, there, you know when we move 
more to, let's say, traditional art, and we move to the world of, of paintings, let's say, there are cases where, obviously, you know, you we've all seen, you know, if you've seen big panoramic art, a lot of times they'll have natural scenes, and I, I think a lot of times of stormy uh, coastlines or, or things at sea, I mean, that's that's often something that's caught, because you also get the motion of the waves and different things like that, but there are also times when artists don't realize necessarily how the weather is impacting their art. And, and I think a great example of this is Edward, and I, I know I'm going to try to say this right, it's Munk, if, I'm, if I've got my pronunciation right. I, I hate doing names sometimes because I tend to not get them right. But it's spelled M-U-N-C-H, but I did check it. So it's like, uh, it's more pronounced like M-O-O-N-K. But he is well known for some some different art, but particularly a you're probably all familiar with the scream. It's this kind of um, person that looks in some ways almost like they're melting. And he was going through some some challenging times then around the time when when he painted this. But one of the stunning parts about this picture is this kind of orange sky. And. I came across, in looking at this, there's people, there's a, a, a professor at um, Texas State University who's actually even written a book on this thing, who uses astronomy and weather elements to go back and try to understand what was going on in scenes or, or where a particular uh, painting may be, you know, where the artist was even standing when they go in and, and go into this process. And the book is called uh, Celestial sleuth okay and, and again link will be in the show notes but the going through and in, in one of the scenes was this is why why did he paint this orange sky was it just that he was going out of his way you know to tell his story or was there something more going on well it happens to be um that when this painting was done there were a lot of orange very vibrant orange sunsets going on and anybody who knows a little bit about sunsets. One of the things that really makes for great sunsets is higher elevation clouds or dust. Like, you know, the, almost the higher in the atmosphere you can go, the better. And it, it no different than, you know, uh, the amazing northern lights, for instance, but different phenomena. That, I, I digress. But with, with this situation, what was causing it actually was being influenced, oddly enough, by a hurricane almost half a world away. So they determined that a major eruption of Krakatoa was had delivered enough dust into the atmosphere to where it was, in turn, creating these sunsets. Kind of, you know, again, he didn't know necessarily, the artists probably certainly didn't know at the time what was causing these sunsets, but it was impacting, now whether it was just a benefit to his art or whether it was actually impacting his mental state, who knows? You know, we, we've got cases, uh, people always wonder about kind of the, the more major impacts of weather on big scales naturally occurring, of course. And, and we all know the sun is probably the biggest player there. But volcanic eruptions have a major impact in influencing both the longer-term climate, but in this case, shorter-term weather events. And, and you know, we've seen this even recently in the past couple of years with eruptions in Iceland and Chile. You know, they create some incredible weather phenomena from lightning, you know, these lightning ash clouds to these types of sunsets. So here it was, vibrant subsets going on, 
caused by volcanic eruptions half a world away, but were a key element of, of this painting. And certainly, you know, Munch is not the only one where that's been the case, well-known artists where that's been the case. But sometimes the question really is, are they seeing weather events or something completely else? And you know, another example of this is, is Vincent van Gogh. And those who don't know Van Gogh, Van Gogh, you've probably heard the story. He's the artist that mutilated his ear. And then voluntarily, I like to think that it was voluntarily, supposedly is voluntarily, checked himself in to an institution to get help and painted a famous, a very well-known, again, one of probably the most famous piece of, pieces of art uh, known today called Starry Night. And he painted it viewing out his room's window. Okay, and it, and apparently it was done near sunrise, but but it was captured, you know, still in the the night sky or the the pre-dawn sky. And part of what was captured there are these turbulent flows, and there is a phenomena in weather that is called Kelvin Hemholtz effect. Okay, and it, it, this is really about turbulence. Long and the short of it, it's about turbulence. It's when two layers of of wind flow or or more specifically i mean if you look at the fact of of two fluids air of which is one are moving at different speeds and it creates turbulence now what this can do in the atmosphere is create these neat wave-like clouds now for those of you who have started uh, watching and we'll touch on this my my new cloud series on youtube i did a type of wave cloud called gravity waves which is a little different than these clouds. These are more like what you would see in the ocean or what you would expect to see in the ocean. And these clouds, sometimes also called billow clouds, literally look like a row of waves coming in. They tend not to last very long, but they're a reflection of turbulence in the atmosphere. And actually, these sort of eddies or visualizations would occur much more often if we had the condensation impact, you know, where this cloud layer was at hand, because they happen in the atmosphere all the time. And actually, that visualization is a nice thing for a pilot, let's say, to know where there's turbulent air. But these things happen at, at multiple layers of the atmosphere because, as you can imagine, there's a lot of times when two air layers are moving at different speeds. The challenge is a lot of times, though, that you need this friction. It's not just about the wind speed. It's about the friction between the two layers. So a lot of times the turbulence is at a very thin layer. And that's why, you'll, you know, when you're flying in a plane, you know, they'll, they'll try to go up and down to get out of the turbulence because it's not necessarily about the wind speed. It's about where you're getting these either opposing directions or opposing flows. And in this case, usually you've got a situation where the two flows are in the same direction, but one just happens to be going faster than the other. So the question's been, was he seeing these types of clouds in this painting? Because if you look at the painting, he's got these kind of swirly wave things. Or was he potentially in his disturbed state actually visualizing turbulence and seeing it at some other level you know there's there's been documented cases of people having traumatic mental events or being in mental states where they see things in a different way all right and it, there's an interesting ted talk and i'll put a i'll put a link to the ted talk where it talks about how he was able to capture this flow but apparently also that was kind of what was going on in the impressionist era which which he was painting was their focus on communicating light through motions not just visually but you know this these kind of blurry areas around the star that 
sometimes can even make it when you're looking at the painting almost create a, a, a twinkle effect. So it's unclear, and you'll read if you ever read about these clouds. And I hope to be able to do a, an episode of well, I will at some point, whether it's using my video or somebody else's. Um, in the in the cloud series, I'll do one of these, and when you look at it, you'll understand. But you can do a search on Google. You don't need to wait for that to go and see how these clouds look like starry night. Now, a lot of people will tell you these sort of clouds inspired Van Gogh. Now, all the reading I did, that's unclear. It was unclear whether he was actually seeing these types of clouds or whether he was reflecting turbulence in his mind and in his life because, as the TED Talk mentions, his early paintings didn't have this turbulence. And it wasn't until later in his life when he was going through these phases that the turbulence showed up. And it wasn't just in this painting, although this painting very much seems to demonstrate it as potentially part of clouds. So, you know, we have cases where someone like Ansel Adams is is visually trying to use weather, knows that they're using weather, to Munch kind of, it ended up in his, a key part of his painting, but he made probably never understood why it was happening to somebody like Van Gogh who were unsure whether it was um, maybe subliminal even in, in his paintings. But it's really neat when you look at art and see all the ways that weather both outwardly and, you know, like I said, potentially even subliminally touch artists and impacts the work that they do and makes it that much more stunning or inviting or engrossing and and like I said though that's one of the things about print art that's so cool to me is you know I, I always when I, you know, you're a kid and you watch a movie like Ferris Bueller for those who haven't seen it you can go and watch it and there's this great scene where the kids are standing in the art gallery and acting like they know what's going on but when you're young you don't necessarily view things that way but sometime you know, if you go find an art gallery and you find a painting, and a lot of times you'll do that. Every now and then, you'll find one that captures you. Many won't, okay? Many won't. But if you, it really is amazing that sometimes you really do have to stop and watch, which is hard to get people to do in this digital age in which we live, and concentrate on that one thing, and new things pop out to you. Sometimes the artist was knowingly putting that in there. Many documented cases where they know they were trying to create that sensation or feeling. But I, I have no doubt that there are times when what you latch on to may be very different than what the art was supposed to be conveying or its intent was. But that's okay. That's the beauty of art and why it can inspire you or entertain you or just make life more enjoyable so, weather and art, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Now, at the top of the hour, I was talking about Hurricane Matthew. And interesting tidbit. So, you will hear words like hurricane, typhoon, or cyclone thrown around. And people do ask me sometimes, what's the difference? You know, wh why are these different names? Well, the names are really kind of localized. The Atlantic Basin and actually part of the Pacific near the U.S. use hurricane. Now, the word is believed to have Spanish origins, but before that, it's believed that it's not the Spanish per se, but the Spanish got it from either the Caribbean or Mayan empires that had this base word that was used to describe hurricane. Typhoon is actually more intriguing. For a long time, it was thought to be Greek in origin because of a word that sounds like typhoon. But, you know, realistically, Greece wouldn't have had these types of storms. And 
the place that typhoon is used to describe tropical cyclones is in the Pacific. So newer research is showing that it actually probably came out of China and that the Greek origin either, you know, there's, there's been this, well, maybe it went from Greece to Asia and then back, but in kind of investigating that, it seems unlikely that that was the case. It seems that it, it is probably likely Chinese in origin, um, the exact base it's hard to say for sure a lot of times with by the time these are english done words but in any case the key to keep in mind with all this stuff is they're all describing the same phenomena they're all just whether it's typhoon tropical cyclone hurricane tropical storm severe typhoon whatever you might hear about or you know major this or, or you know super severe that or whatever it is they're all describing a tropical cyclone which is a specific type of weather phenomena that its structure is different than you know storms that occur in the mid latitudes okay it's 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 built a different way so don't ever get hung up on the name as much as understanding where you are and what those names translate into in terms of their power okay it's it's that power that's the important part to remember. And this also gets back to, you know, trusted weather source who hopefully can convey what that translates into for you. I I wish, this is one of those things where I wish there was a a new world standard and that the categories made sense, more sense than maybe they make, you know, in this day and age. Because realistically, when you're talking about the damage from these, so often it's not the wind damage that ends up being the primary devastating impact and even as I'm watching Hurricane Matthew and it's coming up on the coast of Georgia uh, you know the state that I that currently live in that has been spared many of the hurricanes but this is one of those storms that has the potential to be devastating not so much again because of the wind the wind strongest winds may stay just off a storm offshore but the storm surge because of the timing may be particularly devastating so just keep in mind those things don't get so hung up on you know, whether we call it, um, you know, a windstorm or a haboob, whatever, whatever the words we may throw around it just because of, of history. Know what the impacts are and, and just know enough to know what the impacts are. All right, so in the near future, we're going to be talking about a few things. I was out this morning and kind of had UFO weather, and I, I want to do an episode on this. I'm hoping I'll get some good shots of weather and that it'll cooperate, that we can do what is it that... Uh, What kind of weather, or is there specific weather that always seems to come up when people see UFOs? And tech and weather, many of you know that I'm also kind of a technology person and have a history there. And we're going to hit on this in a few ways. And we may go a little old school, though. You may be surprised what tech and weather translates into. So... Let's wrap it up. We're getting near the the half hour mark, and you know I am trying to keep episodes around that length. So, uh, want to thank the the guys over at the Ritual Mystery Podcast. Now, for those that don't know it, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, and they describe it as friends, geeks, veterans, parents, nerds, gamers talking about it, and they, and they hit a little bit of everything. But what I really like these are two guys that have spent a lot of time in the military. One still is, um, one is kind of recently out, but you know. They've traveled the world as part of their military experiences, and I do think that that gives people a different life perspective, and it's kind of refreshing. I will tell you that it's a, a little bit of some ad- adult verbiage, so don't pop it on and, and think it's kid-friendly. But I want to thank them not only for um, saying some nice things on Twitter and, and 
places like that, but they were, have also supported the podcast over on Patreon and did a review on iTunes. And, you know, that gets into the thing. You know, I've, I've mentioned it before that uh, that's how this thing that we're doing grows. So if you enjoy it, that's how you're going to be able to help. But let's talk first about how to get hold of of us, the website, what is it about the com. Certainly get all sorts of information there, including all these other things, how to connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, follow my weather-related photo album, whatever it might be. All that stuff can be found there. What is it about the weather.com? And on that website, you'll also find a page that talks about support. And you've heard me mention it before, RSVP. And I'm going to touch on it a little bit more this week. You know, I mentioned the Ritual Mystery guys, and they did the P part. And we'll get to that in the end. And they also did, though, the first part, which is rate. And they were kind enough to go on iTunes and say something. Whether you use iTunes, whether you use Stitcher, or one of these aggregators that allow you to rate the podcast, please consider going and rating the podcast. Share. I don't care whether you share by telling your neighbor sending an email, putting something on social media. You know, a lot of times uh, I, I tweet stuff um, about the episode. Simple retweet. Things like that go a long way in helping us get discovered by new folks. Validate. Your feedback has continued to be great. I, I love the episode ideas. I love the thoughts. And again, I you know, I welcome if you think, oh, you, I, I don't like what you're doing here. Could you consider doing that more? Even if it, you know, it's tweak things or ideas or or unhappy about something don't hesitate to let me know and lastly pledge now i mentioned this before patreon was kind of going through this change and i finally changed things up so i've set things up and again the links are on the web page for either patreon or paypal patreon's more of a subscription but I've, I've switched it to a monthly basis and paypal i've set up so you can do a one-time i know a lot of people don't want to get into subscriptions but if you wanted to do a, a one-time donation of the podcast either of those things are welcome they help defer the cost you know, one of the things I really don't want to do is I don't want to bring in advertisers or that sort of thing. I've considered doing that sort of stuff, but I really think I just want to make it the podcast about conveying stuff to you. And, and the more I can do that and, you know, not go broke doing it, the more I, I want to keep doing it. So every little bit helps. And I want to thank the patrons that are already doing it and those that have donated something. As I've also mentioned, I hope to do a store in the future. I hope in October I get the time to do that and provide, um, you know, another avenue for kind of sharing as well as supporting at the same time. So RSVP, rate, share, validate, and pledge. Whatever way you're doing it, it's welcome. You know, for those that are taking the extra step uh, in, in doing things of, of actual financial support, that is appreciated, but that's not the only way that's important. All these things are important. So check the show notes if you're interested in following up. Like I said, I'll put a link to getting back to the beginning, the thing from Marshall Shepard, that, that article, I'll put stuff in there about the, the podcast that I mentioned, as well as some of the things about the story we talked about and the artist inspiration and that Ted talk I mentioned, but until next time, okay, whether you're hunkering down, staying away from a hurricane, whatever it is, may you have good, enjoyable, intriguing, fascinating, whatever kind of weather you like and today, but as always, stay safe. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-word super production.